You're listening to the Retro Guardians. Okay, now what? Buckle up. you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? <laughs> Groovy. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Hasta la vista, baby. Retro Guardians. Hi, welcome to this week's Retro Guardians. I'm Ben. And I'm Jay. Jay, I thought we'd tackle another 90s classic this week. I was I actually rewatched it just recently, and it made me think we should do a show on it. Nothing wrong and with the 90s is... classics. That's one of the best eras, in my opinion. I was about to say the same thing, and this one definitely is a classic of that period. I, I can't say we can go any wrong with it. Mm. And that is the one and only Jumanji. Released in uh, 1995. Starring the one and only Robin Williams. R.I.P. Legend. Yep. And a young Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, I think this was one of the first big films I'd seen her in. I think I'd just seen her in before this Little Women with Winona Ryder. Mm -hmm. And this was the beginning of her career. I think, no, I tell a lie. She was in Interview with a Vampire as well, which was all just before this. Ah, yes. But this really put her up on the big level. I mean, she did a lot of very big films after this Mm. and, and became a household name as a result. Yep. But it also stars Bonnie Hunt, and this was the first time I remember Bonnie. And um, she plays Sarah. And, I, yeah, I hadn't really seen her in anything. Afterwards I had, but not at the time. I think the only thing I'd seen her in before this was Beethoven. She was in oh, the yeah. first and second ones. And then later on I realised she was in Rain Man, and she'd go on to be famous for being in movies like Cheaper by the Dozen, One and Two, yep. uh, Jerry Maguire, The Green Mile, just to name a few. I mean, and, and she's even directed as well and done a lot of voiceover work for yeah. Pixar as well. So what are your memories of this film, Joe? Okay, I watched it at some point in the 90s. Um, I couldn't remember much about it when I moved to my retro house, which you remember, um, around 2005. I watched it then. So that was the last time I watched it. So we're getting close to, what, 17, 18 years ago, something like that. Um, and, yeah, I I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a very different film to what we're used to, which combining aspects of, you know, jungle, um, animals, a bit of comedy, a bit of edge of your seat sort of. Yeah, it was a good mix of stuff. The film is set in new england so the juxtaposition of the jungle with that sort of environment absolutely works because mm. mm. you're not expecting to see these kind of creatures no. and animals in that environment which is interesting <coughs> excuse me so just a couple of things for the few contexts that a lot of people don't know about the film opens uh with uh in the 1800s with two boys burying something we don't know what it is it might even be earlier. It's, it, I can't say the year off the top of my head. But all, all we hear is they're, it, they're burying a trunk and suddenly we hear drums. Mm. And one Famous of the boys said, what if someone finds it? And the other older boy says, God have mercy on their soul. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the movie starts. And then we go into the credits. And suddenly we're in 1969 New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a very little, you know, you know, Americana town of that period. 
a young boy on a bike, which we find out to be Alan Parrish. Yep. He's the son of one of the, the wealthy owners of the town who owns the local shoe factory. And he's going around the town on his bike and he's just saying hello to everyone. And obviously everyone knows who he is. And then out of nowhere, a big bunch of bullies come out also on bikes chasing him down. And he fled into his father's factory where he talks to um, a guy named Carl who works at the store at the shoot factory. who's played by uh, David Alan Greer. Now, David Alan Greer had done a lot of comedy. I'd seen him in Blank Man with um, Damien Wayans, and I believe he'd been in A Soldier's Story from the early uh, 80s with Denzel Washington, which was a drama. So he'd done, a, you know, he'd done a few things before this, but this was the big, big one I knew him for. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so he, um, blah, blah, blah. We see him introduce a shoe to Alan, which is sort of like a precursor to what sort of like the Reebok kind of models would become in the in the eighties, and he believes that if he shows this to his father, it can become the next big thing for them. Well, without looking, he sets the shoe down on a conveyor belt, which goes into a machine, and it it destroys the machine and it stops production for the day. And Carl puts his hand up and said it was mine, and gets fired for it. Alan doesn't say a word; he sort of just mopes off because the bullies are outside circling and he finally goes outside to confront them and gets beaten up and they, they take his bike to his uh, surroundings. There's a construction site nearby and he hears the noise. He starts to hear drums, very familiar drums that we hear at the start of the movie. And he goes in the construction site while they're on lunch break and he goes up to a wall and the dirt and he hears something and he, and he pull, he's able to dig through it and find the said, uh, chest that was buried earlier and he opens it up and he finds a, a old-fashioned board game in there called jumanji and the drums stop as soon as he finds it he takes it home he goes to set it up and then suddenly his father comes out to talk to him and says that he needs to take responsibility and for his actions and he needs to face up to his fears and they get into a fight and his father storms up and he goes to run away but there's a knock at the door. He opens the door and it's young Sarah who's got his bike. And the bully believes that it's her, his girl, but she's not. And she returns the bike and he says, that's all right, I'm going to leave. And then suddenly she hears the drums. She He goes into the lounge room with her and shows her the game. And when he touches the um, the pieces, they automatically go to the start position. And he says, it must be magnets or something. And he talks to her and she said I, i'm too old for board games but he rolls the dice she rolls the dice and drops them and then the piece moves and suddenly in the middle of the game is like a like a hollow disc and it says a quote and it refers to bats and then they're not sure what they should do and then suddenly uh, he gets startled by the clock and he drops it again and he says the game think i played and he goes what do you mean the game thinks you played and the quote says, in the jungle, you must wait till the dice read five or eight. And then suddenly he starts to deteriorate into sand and then gets sucked into the game. As this is happening, a heap of bats, tropical bats, come out of the chimney and chase her out of the house. And then it cuts to modern day at the time, mid-90s in America. Same town. It's completely abandoned. We don't know what's happened. Um, a young lady and her niece and nephew move in. We discover that they're parents were killed earlier that year in a car accident 
and she's taken them in and she's decided to turn the place into like a a, a um, bed and breakfast sort of situation. But this house has a reputation and no one would go near it. When the young nephew, uh, Peter, goes up into the attic, he sees one of the bats is still up there, freaks out. They call it Exterminator. And they show the Exterminator a book and he says, oh, that's a tropical bat. There's a girl that claims she saw a heap of them in the 60s. There's no way in New England. And then he says, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to live in a murder house. And they go, what do you mean a murder house? And he says, Little Alan Parish. I say his father did it. There's a hundred and something places he could have hide the body in here. So we discover that people believe he was murdered. Well, the kids keep hearing the drumming. They manage to find the game. They bring it out, do the same setup and do the same thing, new pieces. And when they do the same thing, they say, it must be microchips or something. So they roll the dice two times. Doubles gets another go. The first time they roll, mosquitoes turn up, very big mosquitoes. The second time, monkeys turn up to cause trouble. And they're more like the monkeys that are mischievous, more like gremlins almost. They, they just love destruction. And they're in the kitchen going haywire. And then they discover, they read the warning instructions, which everyone should read to begin with, right, Joe? Whoever reads instructions. I don't. Well, we discover, as, as Judy says, you, you, did a du- you did doubles, you need to roll again. He rolls again, and essentially it's, his fangs are sharp, his, something is, his appetite is something, you must run post-haste or something, and essentially it's a line, and he's up in the, he's up in the, the attic with them, and they think, oh, it's only imagination, but he's real. But then out of nowhere, a bushman comes out of nowhere, completely covered in vines and a get-up and a knife and a beard, and it's the one and only Robin Williams. He takes on the line. He manages to get it into the main bedroom and lock the door. He opens up the um, linen closet. The kids are hiding in there. He closes it. He goes to his bedroom. Now, his bedroom is the only room in the whole house that's locked up. We, and we see him kick open the door and we realise they, they sealed the room up after he went missing. His bike, everything's in there. It's dust covered. He says, did someone roll a five or an eight? And it was, was, was Peter. And he thanks him and he starts kissing him and runs around the house. Where's mum and dad, blah, blah. And they have to explain to him, you've been missing for over 26 years, which he's having a hard time comprehending. It's been mm. that long. Yeah. So he goes out into the, the town. He comes in encounter with the policeman. The policeman turns out to be Carl, the guy that he, he knew when he was younger. And Carl thinks he's a loony, and they explain that he's just come back from um, Indonesia and he, he's in the Peace Corps or something. And he says 26 years when he hears the year, and he freaks out. But the monkeys come along, and they sneak into the cop car. And he starts going, blah, 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 blah. And the cop's like, what the? He's like, monkeys, monkeys. Is he all right upstairs? He's like, yeah, yeah, he's just having a blah, blah. And then he keeps doing it. Well, two of the monkeys, one of them drops on the shotgun that's in the car and and cocks it and blows the roof out. The other one hits the accelerator and takes off. And that's when he starts running off and he's like, where are you going to find my parents? And the town is completely decrepit. There's no income. There's no major factor or anything now. So everyone's struggling. I mean, do you remember any of this part? I don't remember much of that sort of um, that part. I do remember the barren sort of look of the town when he went back to it. I remember um, where he, he goes met. to the factory mm. and he encounters a homeless guy who actually did work at the at the, the the factory, and he asks what happened, 
And he tells him, he said, that after his boy went missing, he just wasn't the same. He put every effort into finding his son. But it's his dad. Yeah, and this old bloke tells him, and he gives him clothes. He goes, here, you need these. It's cold outside. He goes, uh, the parish is still around. And he says, yeah, I see him from time to time, and they're both dead in the, fun- in the um, local cemetery. And that's when we find out that the two kids have lost their parents too. Now, he wants nothing to do with the game. He, he's over it. He finds clothes. He shaves for the first time. There's a great moment when he goes in the bathroom and sees toilet paper and goes, no more banana leaves, thank God. So I'm just cringing at that scene, Jay, now as an adult. Mm. Then they call him a pussy and they try reverse psychiatry on him and it works. But it won't play. They try to roll again and nothing happens and he realises the elephant was mine and the the rhino was hers. You're playing the game I started since 1969. The only way for this to end is I have to play the game. They help, They hand out the dice, and he says, it's not mine, it's Sarah Whittle. Now, he remembers where her house is and goes there, and he says this great line. He goes, I always, thought that, I always remember the porch being bigger, but he was like a 10-year-old kid last time he saw the porch. There's now a psychic living there, and one of them goes, He's, she's a psychic. She should know who we're looking for. And he calls out and, and says, do you know Sarah Riddle? And she goes, what do you know about that name? And he goes, Sarah. And she goes, I don't go by that name. And he says all the things about what happened. A little boy went missing, this and that. And she goes, how do you know all that? He says, I was that boy. And she said, Alan, and she faints. <laughs> and there's a great scene of him carrying her back to the house over his shoulder. And then we see her on the phone talking to the doctor, saying she needs to get a prescription <laughs> and mend it. And then when they pull the game out, she freaks out because she's been doing over something like a 1,000 hours of therapy trying to convince himself that this wasn't real. And then she says, no, no, your father killed you, blah, blah. And he goes, Sarah, my dad killed me. My dad could barely hug me, then chop me in little bitty pieces. They give her the dice. She won't roll. And he's just like, all right, all right, you can go. And he goes to hold his hand out to grab him. And he, he moves his hand aside and she rolls. And that's how they begin the game. Every time they roll, something worse happens. Every time it happens, the house gets more destruction. There's one scene with um, um, a whole like vine creature comes out, you know, with pods and stuff. There's another one with um, um, another animal comes out. The rhino stampede, which is fantastic. But my favorite one is there's a hunter called Van Pelt who comes out of the game. And Van Pelt was actually played by, I remember his name, uh, Jonathan Hyde. You remember him in Titanic, yeah. Jay. He's actually one of the main guys who built yeah, the Titanic. The posh he was in, guy. He, he was in um, uh, Anaconda and he's in the first Mummy. Yeah. Well, what they did with him is interesting because they used the ploy they did with Peter Pan. Anytime they did the uh, uh, theatre productions of Peter Pan, whoever played the father at the start would always play Captain Hook. And they'd also did that a little bit with the uh, Disney animation movie. There's, they just changed his look a little bit, but it's a similar look. And it was always a tradition. So they did this with that. Tim actually plays Alan's father at the start. And they actually have him play the, the hunter. And he's got one of those big old elephant rifles like from like the late 1800s and the cap and everything. And, he, and he's chasing after Alan. So for the rest of the movie, he's trying to kill Alan. So he becomes a sort of a foe they have to deal with. And uh, he runs out of bullets, and when he runs out of bullets, he goes looking for a new gun. He goes into a gum shop, and he's like, can I help you? And he goes, I want a gross of these. And he said, they stopped making this rifle, this, this Mac in 1908. He goes, damn, I need a replacement weapon. And he goes, well, you have to fill out forms. It's going to take a month, blah, blah, blah. And he drops a heap of gold in front of him. And he goes, oh, I can fill these out for you. Louise? 
and they lock the door and put the clothes on. He gives him a modern rifle with that sort of barrel clip like the Tommy guns have. He's a souped up, like souped up lens, everything. And the first thing he, after, after he gives him the gun, he's like, you're not a postal worker, are you? And the film sort of every time, like I said, it sort of every time they do something, something it causes a problem for later. Every time they play the game or another thing comes out of the game, the monkeys start tearing up the town. They start, everyone starts looting the town. Um, Peter tries to cheat. As a result, the game punishes him and he starts to slowly transform into a monkey. Um, he comes into contact with Carl again. And then Carl has him uh, put in the back of the car and, and puts handcuffs on him. But as he's doing this, there's a shot fired at him, so he knows Van Pelt's around. So he says, yeah, yeah, lock me up, take me in. And while he's in the car, he's confessing. Like, I remember they used to call you Soul Man when you used to walk at the... How'd you know that? And he talks and talks, and he goes, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. He goes, sorry about what? It's me, Alan. And that suddenly jams on the brakes. And then the kids are trying to get money out of the ATM to bail him out. Van Pelt comes along, steals the game off them, runs into the Kmart. They chase after him. He creates a hostage situation, so Alan will come running. He does. And then there's a great scene when they, they get the game off him and they start hit, like hitting the, the hunter. Judy hits him in the face with one of those laser scanners, Jay, you know, for price checks. Mm. And it says no sale. <laughs> but as as Judy and, and Sarah are running around trying to get away from him, we see Peter doing something. Like, what is he up to? He's dragging along some welding stuff. He's got a weights and he's got a, a canoe we don't know what he's doing like, what the hell is he up to and suddenly he putting like a liquid uh, laundry detergent on the ground and suddenly the hunter slips on it and he looks up and he's like what the and he's wearing all the gear and he's in front of weights and he's got two air tanks on the on the canoe and he's like what the and he pulls the weights and they hit the end of the air tanks off the canisters and it flies at him and he falls into the, the canoe and he starts screaming like a girl and then hits the wall at like 100 miles per hour. And that's when Alan turns up in the police car, which has no brakes, and he says, she says to him, why didn't you kill me? You didn't roll the dice, woman. Alan did. He should be here any moment. And then the car flies into the to the to the to the supermarket and it hits um, paint cans and which fall over and fall on top of him and he's indisposed for a little while and when they return to the house what happened after the stampede was the vines got out and the whole house has turned into a vine situation now one of the great things about this film was it was directed by joe johnson now jay i don't think you'd know that name that well but i know that name very well never heard of him joe johnson helped design the original vehicles and weapons and look of the original Star Wars trilogy. He even worked on Raiders of Lost Ark and Temple of Doom as a designer. He later did other jobs. He became a production designer on one of the Ewok movies, and he even worked on some other films for George in between. And um, he was a great... I've seen his sketchbook. His sketchbook helped design the early designs of Yoda, as well as Boba Fett's helmet, the Mandalorian helmet, which is now it's fondly known as... In 85, he told Lucas, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I don't know what to do. I'm going to leave. I'm going to this. And George looked at him, smiled, and went, how about you go to film school? What? Why not? I'll pay for it. I'll keep you on staff here. You can do it. 
Well, he listened to him, and as a result, he became a director. Jay, he directed the original first Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which was directorial debut in 89. He then went on to direct, I believe, Rocketeer, which was 80, uh, 91. Um, he had a real knack for period piece. This guy's really good at period piece stuff. So several of his films, including Jumanji, including uh, he directed October Skies in 99 with Jake Gimthorpe, and he directed Halago, which was... Was Viggo Mortensen's follow-up film to Lord of the Rings, which was also a period piece, but he also directed the first Captain America, the first Avenger. So he had a real knack for period piece, Joe. He's really good with effects and practical effects too because of his background. So he was like a perfect fit for Jumanji. Now, when we were talking about Tremors, Jay, I mentioned the names Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr. They had done the effects for the original Tremors and they had won an Oscar for doing Death Becomes Her for Robert Zemeckis film that featured uh, Goldie Horn, Meryl Streep, and Bruce Willis. Their follow-up film to that was, um, well, one, one or two films later, was Jumanji. Um, Tom, as I've said before, whenever they do creatures, Tom is always the guy in, in the suit or the puppet. So in the case of Jumanji, he's inside the line. He's inside the pod. He's inside the alligator, which happens later. And all the animals, it's Tom actually performing them. And I mean, you have to be very committed and very healthy to be stuck inside certain animatronic suits and, and latex prosthetics for 12 to 10 hour plus days. And so you can understand why I salute him, don't you, Jay? Mm. One of the other things I wanted to talk about about this movie was um, the fact that it was made in 1995 and the um, advanced CGI that was used in this movie, which was, I think, quite way ahead of its time, really, don't you? Well, I mentioned Joe worked for George Lucas at one point, so it wouldn't shock you that ILM helped do a lot of the effects, industrial light magic, folks, for those out there that don't know it. Anytime he did movies, he tried to use them as much as possible because of his history with them. So the use of, of, of uh, models and prosthetics, um, Peter starting to turn into a monkey. I heard a wonderful story that when he was getting in the makeup, I can't remember the young man's name that played him. I'm just going to look it up quickly, Joe. But he was very Bradley nervous Pierce. about getting... Sorry? Bradley Pierce playing Peter. Yep. Yeah. Bradley was also in the movie Man, Man's Best Friend, which I think was a year earlier that um, Ali Sheedy and Lance Hendrickson were in. So he was a kid actor at the time. He said... Robin came in every time he had to wear makeup, he would sit with him and keep him calm and tell him jokes and stories to help him get through the prosthetics because he was very nervous about wearing them, obviously. Um, I also heard they tried to make the kids work longer on one particular day, the producers, and it was Robin that stood up and defended them and said, no, we're only working these days. You can get your shots tomorrow. The kids are done. End of story. Everything I love about that man can be summed up in those sort of stories can't they mm, everything i heard that steven spielberg was so depressed while making uh schindler's list robin used to ring him without fail once a week and talk to him for an hour and tell jokes and stories to keep him happy and ups and calm because he told him on hook he was going to make this and he was going to be very worried about making it and robin went out of his way i also heard when sharon osborne was very sick with cancer uh, colon cancer he did the same thing ozzy asked him could you come around and cheer her up? And he did. And and same thing, I've never heard someone say a bad thing about that man to this day. And, and the sad thing about what we know now that he was going through, he was even going through in that period of time in the mid-90s. 
Um, I heard a story from one of the kids that worked on him, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire with him. And he said he used to go have timeouts and everyone just assumed it was just Robin was, was tired and burnt out. And he, he burst in on him one day and he didn't yell at him, but he was very upset and emotional. And he asked him and he told him, cocaine. I've never been the same after I go, gave up cocaine. It did something to my mind. And it's a scary thought now hearing this stuff hey, and understanding what this man was going through back then. And he went out of his way to help other people. I mean, that's why I think a lot of people like myself miss him to this day. Mm, and I know you feel about him the same way. Yeah. Um, also wanted to talk about sequels briefly. So there were three sequels, if you can. Yes, there were. Now, a lot of people don't know about the first one. Now, just a quick thing. The, the book was written, it was based on a book, and it was written by Chris, I think it's Chris uh, Van Alsterberg, Jay, am I saying that right? Not sure, don't know the guy. Yeah, well, Chris also wrote, I think, The Polar Express. I think that was his other one that he wrote. Um, and then he also wrote a sequel to Jumanji, was called Sathura. Now, Sathura, just to give a good context, was directed by John Favreau. This is the movie that helped get John the job on Iron Man. And it was a space theme one it was set in with space and aliens and asteroids and and it also starred Dax Shepard I think um Christian Stewart who'd go to be famous in the Twilight series was in there but he used a lot of practical effects and he actually used Stan Winston to do the aliens and the the robot and the robot in that movie is actually voiced by the one and only Frank Oz Yoda and Fozzie Bear and so John's love of practical effects also stems from that too and he's a big one of that as well and for whatever reason 20 years later they decided to make a new one with the rock now i know a lot of people that hate it i can watch it but i went into it a bit angry about in particularly uh karen gillen's get up that she's wearing in the in in the movie and i think she she that's too much but then i find out that they're all avatars in a video game this version it morphs into a video game and they're all, yeah, video game characters. And once I heard that, I went, all right, that makes more sense. They're avatars. They're supposed to look like that. Now, I think the first one with them was fine. It's the next one that I sort of, I think they were stretching themselves too much. I did like that the, in the sequel, it's it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's, it's, um, it's Karen Gillan that I just mentioned. Jack Black has a very funny, memorable role. And a certain funny comedian to this day that, Kevin is sort of a hit and miss guy with me, but I actually did not mind him in the in the in the sequels. Um, I do think uh, Kevin Hart can work in some environments, but some he does it. This one he was finding they really played to his strengths. Um, it also plays with the same notion that a kid plays it and then disappears for twenty years. And then suddenly, when the game is over, everyone returns to their proper time period when they, they're at. Now, that's the thing I should mention about the first movie. Once the game is over, it reverts back to the 60s. And that he's able to mend the relationship with his father. He actually saves Carl's job and says it was my fault, not his. Don't fire him. And he's actually able to keep everyone working in the town afloat. And then him and Sarah remember the two kids. So they go out of their way to make sure their parents don't get killed. I mean, that was an interesting take as well. 
And of course, yes, at the end of the sixties, they throw the game into into a a uh, river. And then at the end of the movie, it ends up in Asia somewhere, and you hear the drums again on a beach somewhere in in, in Asia somewhere. So I mean, they do keep that thing running, and that's how the, the video game era is sort of able to continue as well. So, what about you, Jay? Would you uh, give this out of ten from what you remember the first one? Probably give it a five. I um, look, uh, other people might rate it higher. I found it all a bit strange. I'm not a big fan of those sort of fantasy type movies, so it's probably more personal choice than anything. But yeah. I give it a seven. Mm. I give it a seven. I'd give the sequels a five, and mm. I and the specific Jumanji sequels, the Thor, I'd give a six. I That's seen one that. I'd like, like to. No, I'd like to watch that with you. We'll do a review of that one. Mm. That one was actually more fun than I thought it would be. Okay. But it was a period of its time. The time period it was made, the humor. It was it was trying to do everything at once. I think that's why you had a problem. The funniest thing was my mother saw it, and she loved it. And she's the one that told us about it. And we saw it later. And I actually rent borrowed it off an aunt and showed it to my dad. My dad loved it, Jay. To this day, he votes that as one of the best ones of that period with Robin. And my so wife my won't even watch it. She's scared of it. So, sorry, my wife won't even watch it. She's scared of it. Oh, she might, oh, that's right. She was very young when it came out, wasn't she? she? Creeps her out. Um, made for sixty-five million. It took in two hundred and sixty-two at the box office, so it's a success. Can't, However, can't it seemed to get flop. quite a, a critical review. So six out of it ten is an average was, sort of rating yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, if you look at Zathura, it was made for sixty-five. It pulled in sixty-five mil, so it just broke even. Um, Welcome to the Jungle. It did incredibly well, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why they did another one. Well. That was the problem. Yeah, made it was made for ninety mil and took in ten times that, nearly a billion dollars in the box office. Yeah, that is what was the next one? The next level? Nuts. What did that take you? So that one was made for one twenty five, uh, took in eight hundred mil. So yeah. once again, well, there's a rumor, and I'd have to tell you this. You won't be surprised. There's another one in the works. Oh, I'm sure there is. I won't watch Once it. Once a movie makes money, they're going to keep making movies. Especially until when it they're stops pulling in nearly money. a billion dollars. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing I did like about the, those the, the 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 video game sequels was it plays to video game rules, which I like. That you and I grew up with video games, so for us, it's not that much of a stretch. There's a great thing about uh, cut scenes, which explain the plot. Um, how they keep an eye on their life totals. It's mm. three lines on their arms, and then <laughs> when they lose a life, they lose one, so they know if they they lose all their lives, they're dead, and they die for real, so they have to be very careful. One of, the Jonas Brothers actually, yeah, one of the Jonas also... Brothers actually pops up in the sequel, too. Mm. I should mention that. But, no, they're all right. If you just wanted a fantasy escapism fun, just go watch them. I have no problem recommending that to people. I really don't. And um, I definitely think in this day and age, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So that wraps us up for another episode of Retro Guardians this week. And uh, we're going to leave you now with a classic trailer for Jumanji. Hope you enjoy. See you again soon. I'm glad you decided to buy this place. I'm sure that you and your kids will be very happy here. Every house has secrets. Everybody in town thinks the place is haunted. But what happened in this house? Little Alan Parrish. He just vanished about uh, 25 years ago. It's a mystery that began a long time ago when Alan Parrish was just a young boy who made an incredible discovery. Jumanji, you want to play?
Oh, fuck. In the jungle, you must wait until the dice read five or eight. Twenty-six years later, Peter and Judy Shepard are about to play the same game and make an incredible discovery of their own. Are you Alan Parrish? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Everyone thought you were dead. Now, never shaved before. They must roll the dice. You're playing the game I started in 1969. I'm gonna have to play. And finish the game together. It's not my turn. Whose turn is it? Sarah Whittle. Alan. 26 years ago, we started playing a little game. Whoa, God, sir! No, Alan, Come on, I have been over 2,000 hours in therapy, convincing myself that this doesn't exist. Retro Guardians.